0: Okay, so we are holding in Tanya, Perik Vav, Chapter 6. So quick recap where we're holding. Um, We've been talking about the nefashis, about the two souls. Um, In the first Perik, in the end of the first chapter, the al introduces us to the concept, based on the teachings of the Arizal, that a yid is made up of two neshames, two souls. He calls them the nefesh alikis and the nefesh abahamis, the godly versus the animal soul. Um... And he sp- spent a, just a little bit at the end of the first chapter on the animal soul and the basic um, four elements of it and its negative midos. But then, from the beginning of chapter two, the focus has been on the godly soul. And in chapter two, we learned about the essence of the godly soul and it comes from Hashem and the development of it. We used the gestation period as the um, metaphor for that. Um, in Chapter Three, we talked about the soul powers, the ten soul powers, the Eser and HaNefesh, uh, the intellect versus the emotional soul powers. In Chapter Four, we went on to the garments of the soul: thought, speech, and deed—Machshava, Dibur, and Maysa. And being that we're talking about the godly souls, we talked about the thought, speech, and deed of Torah and Mitzvahs and their tremendous impact on the soul. That when one enclothes their godly soul in the thought, speech, and deed of mitzvahs, they're connecting to Hashem Himself. Last week, chapter 5, we talked about the specific powerful connection of Torah, especially Torah versus mitzvahs, two forms of connection to Hashem. One is called food, one is called garments, one is internalized, one is more encompassing, and these were all the garments of the godly soul, and the way that the godly soul becomes entirely encompassed um, in Hashem, and brings Hashem into ourselves through the Torah mitzvahs. That's really the... uh, a little um, recap of what we've been doing so far. So really, the last four chapters, two, three, four, and five, were all focused on the godly soul, its, its, its makeup, its essence, its garments, the Torah that it does. Today, chapter six, we take a very sharp turn, and we start talking about the other soul, the animal soul, we might call it the human soul, the natural soul. Again, the most common term for it in Tanya is the animal soul. But it's really not about animal as much as about being something that's selfish, just not godly, self-centered. Self-centered, not God-centered. And That's the other soul that we have, the natural soul that we have, the one that we wake up in the morning feeling, the one that doesn't take a lot of effort to access. Um, we mentioned at some point that the godly soul is called the second soul because it comes second, because it doesn't really establish itself in a person until their bar or bas mitzvah, and because it's always going to be second as far as the one that we relate to naturally. Um, It's the second feeling. It's something that requires effort to develop and to cultivate. That's the godly soul. But the other soul. So he starts off chapter 6 with a quote from Koheles. Koheles is one of the svarim written by Shlomo HaMelech. Right. Shalom HaMelech writes some of the great works. And one of them is Kohalas. How is Kohalas said in English? Ecclesiastes? Right? Something like that? And in Koheles, there is a line that says, Zé l'umas zé assa elokim," Which literally means that Hashem makes everything in this world, zé luma zé, one corresponding to the other. Um, everything that there is in the realm of holiness, there is something corresponding to it, in the realm of unholiness that which is not holy and they're built very very similarly um, when, especially from a Kabbalistic view everything in this world has its holy form and way it is and its unholy form and way it is and they very much mirror each other there's an interesting Gemara that says whatever you see on dry land there is the same type of creation in water Hashem made the world that way. So in the olden times, that, that Gemara sounded very fantastical. Because on dry land, there's so many different types of animals and so many different types of growths. And the Gemara says that everything that there is on dry land, there's something that's exactly the same way, just underwater. But I guess with time and more exploration, we see under in the water, there's everything. Right? Whatever we have here, all different types of animals and different types of vegetation and growth. Uh, similarly, it says that every unkosher food has a kosher food that's exactly like it. The government makes these statements that, that every, Hashem has this like perfectly symmetrical world where there's holiness and non-holiness and they, they mirror each other. And there's a reason for that. It's not just Hashem was trying to you know, show that He knows how to make things uh, in that way, but that because really everything has a source in kedusha. Even that which is unholy also comes ultimately from Hashem. Obviously, there's only one source in this world very basic belief of Yiddishkeit versus perhaps other beliefs, is that there isn't ultimately sources of good and sources of bad, positive and negative. There's only one Hashem and Hashem created everything. And certain things come down at this world in their form of holiness and certain things come down lower. And we'll talk about that more today and and other uh, days, God willing, as we go on in Tanya. But that everything comes from Hashem, there's this chain of creation. So higher up on the chain is the holy form and expression of something. And as that chain of creation descends, we have the unholy forms of those same things that Hashem created earlier in a holier form. Did that make any sense? Right? So there's this, this chain. And that's really behind this statement of Shlomo Malach and Kohelas, that Zel Umas ze elokim. <speaking> Everything has its spiritual, holy counterpart, and that's countered by the unholy of of the same manifestation, just in an unholy form. And therefore, why is that important to us here? That whatever we discussed until this point about the build of a godly soul, the other soul also has all of that same building blocks. Whatever we discussed in the godly soul exists in the non-godly soul, in the, again, the the human soul, the animal soul. In other words, we talked about 10 soul powers there are 10 soul powers in that soul as well. And they're the same 10 soul powers, the same wisdom and understanding and knowledge, chachma bin das, kindness, severity. Whatever we built, whatever we saw in the godly soul, it has the same thing in the other soul, in the nefesh Bahamas. And the garments, the machshavah, the thought, speech, and deed, The souls are built the same, except that one is godly and one is not. So on the one hand, they're built the same. On the other hand, they're opposites. And that's what he begins exploring in this chapter. So, one of the first very interesting differences between the two two souls, the godly and the not-godly soul, is that although they're both made up of ten soul powers, and the ten soul powers as we know are divided into two, right? What's the division? Not five and five, but three and seven, right? We have the intellectual versus the emotional. In the godly, we'll have the intellectual versus the emotional and the animal soul. Yet, they're very different. And that is, in the godly soul, it very much starts from the intellectual soul powers. If you'll recall, in chapter 3, when we talked about the build of the godly soul, the primary focus of the chapter was on the three intellectual soul powers. Chachma, Bina, and Das. And then he says, and those intellectual soul powers give birth to the midos. They create, they're called the mothers, right? We talked about they're called the mothers that give birth to the midos, the emotions. When it comes to the animal soul, he says the opposite. He said it's made up of the emotional soul powers, which are guided by the intellectual soul powers. The emphasis is on the emotional, on the midos, and the intellect is looked at as a guide to the midos, versus the godly soul, where the emphasis is on the intellectual and the intellectual creates the Midos. What's the difference? It sounds the same.
1: Thing, huh? <laughs> it sounds
0: the same if what? In both cases, the intellectual is guiding the right. Gu- in both cases, the intellectual is the the intellectual is on top and the soul and the Midos come afterward. Yet in one the the emphasis is on the emotions with intellectual guides, and the other the emphasis is on the intellectual which creates emotions. What's the difference? So what's the basic, or what's a basic difference between intellect and emotion? A very basic difference we think about. Intellect versus emotions. Emotions is all about me. What I want, what I feel, what I like, what I dislike. Emotions very much starts with me. My feelings, my likes, my dislikes, my anger, my upsetness, my happiness, what makes me feel good. Emotion is I. Intellect is much more about trying to learn something and understand something and connect to something that is above me or outside of me, right? Intellect has the ability of being much more subjective, right? What does subjective mean? I just want to make sure I'm using the word correctly. It's objective. Objective. I know I was using it wrong. <laughs> Intellect has the ability, at one of the things I uh, Those get, two words. Yeah, get objective you. and subjective, I always get confused with them, So when I say it, I think I'm probably saying this wrong, and I was right that I was saying it wrong. So with intellect, one can be much more objective because I want to learn. And the real intellectual is able to be truly objective, to really learn and really understand something and really try to take myself out of the picture. I just want to understand something. I don't want to mix in my feelings. I want to really understand it. So intellect is really much more humble, if you will, It's not about me and my feeling. I'm trying to learn something new. I'm trying to understand something. Versus the midos, which is already, okay, what do I feel about this? And do I like it or do I not? And this becomes a very, very big difference between what's the starting point. And this is a very essential difference between the godly soul and the animal soul. The godly soul, the holiness within ourselves, starts with our intellect. And we try to learn and we try to understand and we try to connect to ideas and thoughts that are above us, higher than us, holier than us. And then they create midos based on the intellect. So based on what I learned and based on what I understand, I'm going to try to work on and build and cultivate midos, feelings. Right? We want to create feelings of Ahavas Hashem, loving Hashem, and fear of Hashem, and bitachon, and simcha. It starts with trying to understand and learn what it's about and what it means. We don't start with, I feel, and now let me use my intellect to sort of guide me along with my feelings. Right. So the godly soul is intellect-based, and the intellect creates the feelings um, in a very, in, in a much more, um, it's more, intimately involved in the creation and development of the midos, And therefore the midos are also going to be more refined because they're coming from a place of objectivity, of learning, of trying to find something deeper. That's the godly picture. And that's where we learn and try to mold and shape and refine ourselves. The other side of the picture is I'm, I'm, I have desires and wants And of course, those wants are going to be guided by understanding, right? And the example he brings here in Tanya is a child. Child wants things and likes things. And as the child grows, their wants change and their likings change because their intellect becomes a little bit more developed. So the toys of the two-year-old are not the toys of the five-year-old or not the toys of the 10-year-old. So yeah, the intellect is always going to be guiding, but it doesn't start from intellect. It starts from my feelings, I feel, I want, I desire, I like, I appreciate, and my intellect sort of takes me along to the next step and to the next step and to the next step. So here we see how both the godly soul and the animal soul have all of those, the entire set, all 10. The intellect is there, the emotions are there, but the the build is different, and that the, the difference comes from Objectivity versus non-objectivity or self-centeredness, which is midos, are much more self-centered than the intellectual powers. So which is the more powerful one? Which is the more leading one? Is the difference between the godly soul, the build of the godly soul versus the animal soul, its build, right? Right. I, you know, many times we use. You know, I know we struggle here with the animal soul, animal soul, human soul. But what's the difference? What's a practical difference between an animal and a human being? Does an animal have intellect? No, no nothing. Yes, there's no. Motion. An animal has to have some intellect. That animal knows how to get food, knows how to save itself, and knows how to find shelter. So there's got to be intellect there. I don't know, I'm not a professional in animals, but I have no doubt that they use a certain level of intellect to know how to hunt and know how to save themselves and how to work together and so on and so forth. So there's intellect. So so just instinct? Yeah, Yeah, that's a good question. Okay, so I I, I shouldn't profess real knowledge in animal (laughs) behavior here. Um, It would seem to me that there is intellect of, Figuring things out and learning things and whatever. I guess some smarter and some less, just like people. But there is some level. But the intellect is primarily just a... uh, They're to serve their needs, right? They need to be safe. They need to eat. They need to hunt. They need whatever. So they have intellect sort of serves the needs. But it starts with the needs. They don't most likely sit down in school and learn a subject, like, let's learn about the sciences, right? And that's where the human is vastly different. But a human has the ability that, that intellect should just be there as a thing for itself, not just to help how I feel and how I need. Right? So here we see this, that difference between human and animal. of Is intellect just a, um, a servant of needs, of emotions or needs, versus is it something that can become its own independent guide and leader, something where a person can learn. And here's what he's basing the difference between that godly and animal soul within ourselves, the one that's midos-based, emotion-based, and really, again, self-need and self-based, self, self based versus the godly soul which starts with learning about that which is greater than me, and therefore creating midos that should... Um, that should be that should fit, or should um, that should fit with what I learned and go along with what I learned, which is what we try to do when we learn Torah and develop and create new, greater, finer midos within ourselves. Okay, so that's one practical difference. Where again, we see both sides. On the one hand, there's ten, there's God, there's the there's the intellect, there's the emotional. Yet their build is different in the way we've seen it. Okay, sure. Uh- I'm confused by the understanding of midos as feelings. Like, like okay, connection to midos and feelings. Midos is no. kindness, is severity, is uh, chesed. These are these are feelings. These are emotions. We feel kind. Mm-hmm. We feel severe. We can feel uh, love, anger. These are midos. Uh-huh. Right. I think we've had this discussion once before. So there's something unclear here. Yeah. Sechel and Midos. Yeah, the the way the way Tanya at least sees the spheres, the 10 soul powers, that there's the intellectual and emotional ones. That's the way Tanya breaks it down. So so Sometimes I think of midos as characteristics, right. but you're saying it's feelings, it's confusing. It's feelings, it's emotions. Yeah, clearly, because it, this question has come up here before. So I'm, just, I'm sort of like conditioned from the tiny way of seeing it, which is the intellectual and the emotional, and that's the two parts. When we talk about chesed, we talk about gvura, we talk about teferis, these are midos in Kabbalistic and Hasidic way of understanding them. Like, I think that's some of some character traits as, like... Kind. kind of yeah. Severe. So, kind better. and severe versus wisdom and understanding, one is more intellectual and one is more emotional. But, but some, we usually think of feelings as happy, sad, right, angry. I mean, that's how we... Okay, so, so happy is more of a uh, connected to chesed, to kindness... Sad is more of a severity. They, they go together. One is more the emotional angle end of it. Okay. But it's all part of the same. It's emotions. It's in the bigger picture of emotions versus learning and understanding. Mm-hmm. Or you can think of it, if you just think of it as subjective and objective, right? Like, then it's easier to understand, right? Like, the subjective is the me dose, and the objective is the, is the, mm-hmm. the intellect. Right. So, and that connects to what we were saying. Feeling uh-huh. is very good, right? Okay, so I have a question. Yes. Okay, a practical thing. I listen to I listen to just louder because oh, I listen being... I listen to a piece of music, okay, yeah. and it awakens me. Um, something spiritual. Which soul is doing that, and what what's going on there? Okay. Okay, that's a br- I, I don't want to deal with that question now. Okay. I want to deal with that when we do a few more chapters and have a better picture of the two souls. Okay. And we're very, very intertwined. It's many times very hard because we're, at the end of the day, as much as there's two souls, they work together in one person. And many times there's facets of both that are working. I'm going to say usually there's facets of both that are working. We have to try to understand what part is what. But perhaps when we finish the next few uh, vav, zay, and other another three chapters will have a better picture to be able to put it together. Okay? Fine. The next thing he moves on in the chapter and talks about is that just like in the godly soul, we talked about there was the ten um, attributes and the intellect and the emotions, but then there was when it expressed itself. Mm-hmm. The expressions were what we called the garments and they were the thought, speech, and deed. And the same is with our animal soul. With that part of us that's more self-centered expresses itself. And what does it express itself in? Thought, speech, and deed of self-centeredness. Really? Self-centeredness, but self-centeredness sounds very bad. And here he's gonna say some things in Tanya now that makes a lot of um, eyebrows go up, and I'm I'm you know gearing, gearing up for it. Yeah, gearing, you know, gearing, gearing <laughs> up for it, right? because um, he's gonna make some very, very broad statements. It says, because To understand what we're doing as an expression of our animal soul. He has to make a sort of a broad um, statement of what in this world is holiness and what is unholiness, right? What is holy and unholy in this world? And that's a very broad question. Mm -hmm. Most of what we do every day as regular fine people, is it holy or is it unholy? So There is a tendency to look at things, and for good reason, and say that there's black, and there's white, and there's gray. That's a very typical way of understanding. There are things that we know are bad, right? Stealing is bad, right? Uh, Killing is bad. Uh, what else is bad? Um, hurting someone is bad. There's certain things that are pretty clear. Or from a t- very from a Torah perspective, uh, eating treif. Or, you know, there's certain things that are just it's a no no, right? You're not allowed to do it. So that you know that that's on the bad side. Then there's certain things that are holy: davening, learning Torah, giving tzedakah. There's holiness. Now, but you think about it, that's most of our day. Most of our time is not doing either that or that. Most of what we do is not an Avera, and is not specifically a mitzvah. It's most of life. What is all that? What we sort of, again, from a a basic halachic perspective, it's just being being alive, it's, it's doing what I'm doing. So is it holy or is it unholy? And when we break ourselves down into two souls and their expressions, it's important to understand what is the expression of the animal soul? Is it specifically unholy, the animal soul? Right. So it's unholy, but unholy doesn't mean bad. Right. Unholy means not holy. Not a holy act. So if those things are not holy, then they must be unholy. Exactly. Right. And that's why the Altyar says here in Tanya, and again, it's important to understand what he says, but he says, in this world, there's two, there's either, there's two options. There's holy or non-holy. There isn't three. And that's a very strong point he makes. He says, there's no neutral. And, but we're going to talk, of course, there's many levels. But ultimately, is an act holy or is a non-holy act? What makes an act holy? If it's connected with Hashem. Hashem is holiness. And if this act is in some way for Him, because He told me to do it, it helps me serve Him, it's what He wants of me, then it's an act of holiness. If it's not, then it's not connected to Hashem in a revealed way. So it's an unholy act. It's an unholy um, happening if it's not in some way connected to Hashem. Okay? but, not, yeah. but not For, Let's let's leave good and bad out of the picture because okay. good and bad is also very, very mm-hmm. sub, Subject. subjective. Right? Mm-hmm. But... We're talking about holy versus unholy. Holiness, Kedusha, means connected to Hashem. Now, what could be connected to Hashem? Oh, a whole lot, right? Okay. There's, a, there's a Gemara that says that there's one Pasuk that it says almost all of life is connected with that Pasuk. Which Pasuk am I talking about? You're not going to guess it. B'chol durachecha da'ehu, Which means that one has the ability to know Hashem in everything that they do. In other words, everything that we do can be an act of holiness. Not limited to mitzvahs at all. Eating can be connected to Hashem and drinking can be connected to Hashem and and sleeping can be connected to Hashem if I'm doing it for that reason. If I'm doing it because I'm trying to serve Hashem and because this is what Hashem wants of me. In other words, if it's clear to me in my intention that this is what I'm doing it for, it becomes an act of holiness. If not, then it's not. So it's a, you have to have the intention. Right. What am I doing this for? What's my intention? Why am I acting this way? The Rambam talks about this a lot. Interestingly, the Rambam, the Rambam is not a book of mysticism or Chasidus, But he says that a real Ovid Hashem, a real servant of Hashem, everything that they do in their day is connected with their Avodah Hashem. But he says very clearly, I'm talking about sleeping, I'm talking about eating, I'm talking about everything. Even the most physical and mundane things that we do, he says, done properly becomes an act of service to Hashem. The same thing not done with that intention or with that understanding or with that perspective remains something that's not connected to holy or divine. So it's not enough to be like, I'm waking up today, everything I do today is for Hashem. It has to be well, your I, consciousness. Right. You know, I'm sure that that has some level of meaning too, but very, very distant. I mean, for sure, if, you know, in general, that's what my life is about, and I'm not thinking about it every moment, there's truth to that. But the more spiritual one is, the more that's part of their consciousness. So he says here, and here's where he says a statement. Really, he says, all everything that goes on, on its own, is unholy. He says... Most of what happens in this world is people waking up and going to work and eating and sleeping and making money and spending money and having a good time. Most of that is just non-holy. In fact, what's the most common word for the non-holy in Kabbalah and Hasidus? You're going to get it on the second try. Klipa, that's the first one. I say you're going to get it on the second one. Oh, don't make me wrong. Give us a hint. Sitra achara. What does Sitra Akhura mean? Uh The other side. What does the other side mean? That there's two sides. Either either this is a godly act, either this is a Kedusha act, or it's not. If it's not, it's on the other side. It's an act that's not in any way clearly connected with Hashem. The vast majority of this world, left untouched, left untouched, I'm going to use a, I'm going to make up a word left unintentioned uh-huh. the vast majority of this world is not clearly connected with God or Godly in fact what's the Hebrew word for this world olam, olam. what does the word olam mean aside from world olam. concealed that Hashem is concealed in this world. Until I come along and I say, you know what, I'm going to use this thing in this world for a divine purpose, for a godly purpose. I'm going to reveal how this is godly, can be godly, can be connected to godly. Until that point, it's not. It's called olam, it's called concealed, and Hashem is concealed there. What is a woman. So he's saying the vast majority of everything on its own is sitra achara, the other side. But does the other side mean that Hashem is not there at all? Of course not. Hashem is everywhere. There is no other source for anything other than Hashem. Rather, it means Hashem is not revealed there, like we said the word olam, which brings us to the other name for the unholy, the first one that you said, which was klipa. What does klipa mean? A shell. Why is it called a shell? Because it's covering over what's inside of it. Like every shell covers over a fruit. So the very name for unholiness, which is klipa, tells its tale that everything that's unholy means that godliness is concealed there. And until someone comes along and reveals it, which means that someone comes along and connects that to Hashem, connects that in their behavior to Hashem, godliness there remains concealed, and therefore it's klipa, therefore it's sitra achara. So I know I'm saying a bunch of things, but I want us to understand that the two primary names for that which is unholy is the other side and the shell. These two names are very important. The other side means anything that's not connected to Hashem is the other side. Mm-hmm. The shell means anything that's on the other side is just covered over. <clears throat> Hashem is covered over there. So, back to our two souls. I'm sorry, you wanted to ask something. I just so a person can do a mitzvah, okay? And it could be holy or unholy. Like I walk an old lady across the street. Because I'm a nice person. Not because Hashem told me to be kind or, or have Abbas or something like that. I'm just walking across the street because that's the right thing to do. Okay, so that's a good point. So a mitzvah is holy even if I don't have the intention. Uh, that's the difference. A mitzvah, because it's a mitzvah, is holy just by its act. But eating is not a mitzvah. Especially not, especially when I eat more than I need to live, to subsist, which is what most of us do, right? right? So eating on its own is not an act of a mitzvah, so then it's up to me to reveal the holiness there. So there's truth to what you're saying, because a mitzvah done without intention, also the, the godliness isn't as revealed there as it could be. But still, being that it's an act of holiness, it's holy just by nature of that act. The act is an act of holiness. Goodness, kindness is acts of holiness, even when the intention isn't fully there. We're talking about everything else, which is just regular acts. I'm, I'm going shopping. Is that good or bad? It just is. Now, it could be wonderful. It could be just self-centeredness, right? Most acts of the world fall into that category, and therefore he says, he says, when we talk about the expression of the animal soul, what is that? Everything, everything that we do in this world, aside from clear mitzvahs or Torah, is the natural expression of the godly soul. It's kleipa, it's sitra achra, it's the other side, it is, um, it's the shell where godliness is very much there, but it's covered over. Because, and here he makes another important statement. He says, where is Hashem revealed in this world? Like what's, if I'm thinking, revelation of Hashem requires what? Attention. Transparency. That Hashem is seen there. That it's revealed there that this is for Hashem, connected to Hashem. When Hashem is covered over, when we don't see it, when we don't know it, when we don't feel it, that means Hashem is not revealed there. See, this really goes into a much bigger thing. Um, I'll, I'll just mention it quickly. We know where's Hashem's home, the base of Mikdash, for example. Hashem says, "Make me a home, and I'll dwell there." But I thought Hashem is in the whole world. <laughs> Excellent. Hashem says, "Make me a sanctuary, I will dwell there." And Pashas <laughs> Truma. But but isn't Hashem everywhere? So he's revealed. The answer is revelation. Mm-hmm. So where Hashem is means where Hashem is revealed. So the Beis HaMikdash was a place of ultimate revelation. So like you'd walk into the Beis HaMikdash and you would sense godliness. You would see miracles. The Mishnah says in Pirkei you walked in and you saw miracles. Just, just straight out revelation. So that's the place where Hashem lives Israel is where he's most revealed. So in our lives too, the more we reveal him, the more he's there. He's all, again, I'm going to say this again, he's always everywhere. But how much are we allowing him in, it depends on how and why we do whatever we do. The more we reveal him, the more he's there, or the more we reveal him, the more we see him? Okay. The more we reveal him, the more we see him, and that's what's called him being there. right? When Hashem says, again, Hashem says, make from me a home, I'm going to live there. That means this place is a place where I'm really going to be fully revealed. Now, we, as much as we do, probably won't create that level of revelation in our own home. But the more our home is centered around the spiritual, the more Hashem is revealed in our home as well. So our home becomes a mini Beis Mikdash, a mini sanctuary. Every action that we do can become an action where Hashem is more and more revealed. Okay. So, but wherever that, so again, going back, because we're, again, we're traveling, going back to here, he said we said there's the animal soul. That animal soul is just the self-centered, normal, regular human being. Not in a bad way, just in a not holy way. So in what does that express itself? In everything that they do. In everything that they do, that's not clearly connected with Hashem, that remains under the domain of the klipa or the sitra achra, the shell, the other side, and it's the expression of the animal soul. Now, can the, I ask a question? Yes, yeah, sure. Okay. So, what is um, when we talk about Hashem is everywhere? Um, isn't there certain concepts that Hashem doesn't reveal Himself everywhere, like? Even like with Birka's name, it says that um, he, Hashem should have his face shine towards you. And then there's a concept of pester upon him and things like that. Okay. I mean, the, you know what I mean? There are places where Hashem is more revealed and places where Hashem is less revealed. We, just, we mentioned, in the, right. be, the Beis HaMikdash is a place where there's the ultimate level of Hashem's revelation. You mentioned Birchas Koanim, And the Beis HaMikdash is the only place where the Kohen could say the bracha and say Hashem's, uh, the, what's called the Shema Esa, the yeah, essential name of Hashem. How? Right. So yes, there's going to be differences of places of revelation. And yet we have the ability that the regular things that we do should become godly and divine, as that pasuk we mentioned of bachal d'rachach da'ehu, or not. Or they could just be, go through the same motions of the same eating and sleeping and and socializing and shopping and working and doing everything, and they could be not holy acts at all. And that's very much up to us and up to, um, you know, our expression. Okay, so it's just, it's not levels of um, how Hashem is reflecting to us, it's just depending on what we're doing and our uh, our spiritual purpose while well, we're doing this and stuff like that. Correct. And it's more Correct. so. Correct. Okay. Correct. Correct. So. Thank you. Sure, sure. Now, there are parts in this word. So now now he gets into it and at the end of the chapter especially he starts mentioning that in non-holiness there's levels. Because even though we said that there's no neutral, right? There's either you're holy or you're not. There's an act of holiness or non-holiness. And that's true. At the same time, there are certain things that are sort of stuck in their non-holiness. There are certain areas or places or things that Hashem is so not revealed there that we can't reveal Him there. What's the best example for that? An avera. Right? An act of sin, that Hashem says, I'm not going to be revealed there. So what if I, what, I really want to sin for very wonderful intentions? I have very spiritual, good intentions to do a sin. Mm-hmm. Which, by the way, happen, makes sense. Mm-hmm. But Hashem says, I'm not going there. Which means th- that is a level of klipa that's sort of stuck in remaining klipa. In remaining, and if Hashem is so concealed there that Hashem says, you don't have the ability to reveal me there. So for, to take a very simple um, exercise, there's food that's not kosher. And I'm really, really hungry. Mm-hmm. And I don't have the ability to learn daven properly today if I'm not gonna eat. Mm-hmm. So I'll take that food that's not kosher and I'll eat and I'll learn Torah and daven with a lot of energy because I ate that food. Mm-hmm. So I used that for godly reasons and for spiritual reasons and I, I learned Torah with the power that I got from that food. Hashem said, sorry. Uh, in that area, I, I am so concealed that you don't have the ability to reveal me there. So that becomes a klipa that's stuck in its klipa. A, a shell that's, it's a, it's a nut that we can crack. Am I, am I being clear? So although, again, so I, I'm not contradicting myself. Although it's true, there's either klipa or kadusha. You got to be one or the other. There's no, there's no middle ground. Yet, there are certain klipas, there are certain areas of Hashem's concealment that we have the ability to uncover, to reveal. And there are certain areas of klipa that we don't have the ability to uncover. And that's primarily sins. And things that Hashem said in the Torah, this becomes forbidden. And that's something he's going to discuss more in the next chapter. Are there two different terms here? There's klipa and then klipa separate klipa? Or, or what? Klipa and sin. No, the, the actual term there's a term here which is the Kabbalistic terms and used in Tanya is klipas noga versus shalosh klipos atmeos. meos um, shalosh klipos atmeos literally means the three impure klipos that refers to the lowest level of klipa that we don't have the ability under normal circumstances to reveal the kedusha within them the reason they're called three is Kabbalistic based on a vision of one of the Navim which I don't remember which one where he, he sees three different negative klipas. But that represents like the averos and things that we don't have the ability to um, to reveal Hashem in them, versus Klipas Noga, which is more of a it's like a covering that's um, somewhat somewhat transparent or translucent I mean, translucent. Neutral, right. So we typically think of it as neutral. It's neutral in a sense that it can be brought into kedusha, but not neutral. In a sense, that until it's brought into kedusha, it's not kedusha. That's what we're saying. We're saying so it's not just nothing. There's no not. There's no there's nothing. nothing. There is kedusha and not it has, kedusha. It has to be transformed. There's, you're either transforming it for unholy or for holy. Exactly. Exactly. Hashem created a world. There's areas of holiness and there's everything else. Exactly. Now, a lot of that, everything else, we have the ability to reveal Hashem within it or bring it into the. Um, into the boundaries of Kedusha, if you will. That's that, what we call the neutral. So neutral in the sense that I can move it into Kedusha. But until I do, it's klipa. So then that's why he makes that, that broad statement that anything that we do, if it's not Kedusha, is Klippa, period. Although, a lot of that, we have the ability to do it differently and bring it into the realm of Kedusha. So, for the sake of this chapter... What he's telling us is, and going back to the picture here, we have our animal soul, which is made up of the Midos and the intellect that guides it, as we pointed out. It has its expression, which is the thought, speech, and deed of everything that we do. And he says, all of that, everything that we do, typically, if not for an intention, an active intention to bring it into the realm of Kedusha, is all an expression of Klepa, of unholiness, of that shell, where Hashem is not revealed. Interestingly, going back to Kohelas what the, the very first verse of Koheles, Shlomo Malach says, he says, everything in this world is hevel. Hevel means, uh, like nothingness. Vanity, uh, vanity nothingness. Vanity. And in fact, in the first pasuk of Koheles, he says the word hevel seven times. Hevel hevel hakol hevel omar kohelas everything in the world is vanity it's all it's all nothing everything that we see and he says it seven times as the meforshim say for the seven days of creation this whole world is one big nothingness that's how shlomo HaMalach, the wisest of all men starts saying that if not or without our intention everything that we do on its own naturally is just not connected to hashem is therefore an expression of that Natural human self centeredness and is not holy until we come and do what we have to with it. And that's Hashem's mission for us in this world. Where Hashem, Hashem in a the sense, there's a very beautiful um, metaphor it's brought that Hashem created a world of darkness on its own and put within ourselves a nishama, which is called a candle, near Hashem nishmas Adam. And that gives us the ability to illuminate everything in this world. So everything, we're able to bring that candle of our neshama and bring it into Kedusha. But until we do, it's a place where Hashem's presence is not felt, and therefore called klipa or called the Sitra Akhara. And that is a, um, a summary of a lot of the ideas of chapter 6, which is going to lead into 7. Interestingly, just like the godly soul had three chapters, Um, really four. So for the animal soul, now we have now six, seven, and eight, where he's going to discuss and deal with those um, um, aspects of the animal soul. Um, I'll say very, very quickly, because we have um, still a few minutes left, that this coming Shabbos is Yud Kislev, the 19th of Kislev, which is um, the most significant day on the Chabad calendar, and very connected to Tanya that we learned this year, that we've chosen and began to learn this year together. And that is because the 19th of Kislev represents... It's the day, well, it's really a few things. First of all, the passing of the teacher of the Altair Rebbe. The Altair Rebbe's teacher was the Maggid of Mezrich, and his yard site is in the 19th of Kislev. And before he passed away, he turns to his disciple, Rupshner Zalman, and says, this day is going to be our yomtiv, mine and yours. So he passes away in, what was it, 1772 or seventy-seven, seventy-three? and it's um, a number of years later, in 17... Uh, 99 or 98 that the Alter Rebbe is going to be arrested um, and he's in, going to spend in jail 53 days and is going to be released on the 19th of Kislev. And of course, there's a long story. His book's written on the story of his arrest and liberation but of course the way he explained it and all the uh, Rebbes afterward explained it was that the physical arrest was an expression of a spiritual um, Kiro uh, how do you say Kitrug in English, uh, a spiritual complaint in heaven on his ways, because his ways of teaching and revealing these secrets of the Torah were being challenged in heaven. They're called the secrets of the Torah for a reason, and he was revealing them. And therefore there was really a heavenly, um, a heavenly story playing out in the physical world. In fact, the Alter Abba himself said that when he was in jail, he was visited by his teacher, the Magid and the Bal Tov, who had both passed on already but that they came to visit him. And he asked them, why is this happening to me? What did I do wrong? And they told him exactly this. They said that your teachings are being challenged in heaven. They're not challenged, but they're not true. They're being challenged, the fact that you're revealing them and teaching them, this is something that was never revealed and taught until this point. And the Ahtorebbi said, so therefore, should I stop? And they said, no. When you will be freed, that will be your green light from heaven that you've been exonerated. And they should continue teaching. And that's why the day of his freedom, Yutes slave becomes known in Hasidus as the day that the green light was given for these teachings. And what's amazing was that he was in jail for 53 days. And as, his, as, as the next Rebbe said, 53 days is the 53 chapters of Tanya. Chapter, Tanya is 53 chapters long. The, the, the main section of Tanya that we're learning is 53 chapters. So it was explained by his son, the Mittler Rebbe, and the Samach Sadek, that that spiritual gzera, that... that um, that decree was all about his teachings, and therefore, when he was exonerated, it was the freedom of Tanya and all the Hasidus that comes from that, and therefore, that we're able to learn that together is a tremendous source and very much connected with this week. What so, was the Hebrew day that he was put in jail? They came out of jail. No, what was the Hebrew day that they was put in jail? Um, They came for him on Chalamud Sukkis, middle of Sukkis, but I think it was the day after Sukkis that they actually took him, and the uh, day after Sukkot. Exactly. It is exactly the same. So, and we will continue. um, I don't know yet about next Monday night uh, because they have the bris then. Um, I might be out of town. Uh, I will let you know if we will have a class next Monday night. And the Monday after is Hanukkah. We might be taking like a two-week break or something like that now. If that changes, I'll let everyone know. I'll talk on the baby.